Welcome to church, all of you uh, ungodly sinners. Now, most of you think I just called you that because you've been skipping the last few weeks, but in reality, last week we started a new series, and uh, that's the conclusion that we came to, um, that is that we are ungodly sinners. Now, how we got there um, before you immediately uh, are, how dare you? Um, you know how I dare. I know all of you. Um <laughs> Uh, We introduced a problem, and today we're going to start to look at the solution uh, to the problem. And the problem is is that we've got a gap in our life, most of us do, um, between what we know to be true and how we behave. That is the things that we profess to believe and how we know things work. Uh, We know the right thing to do, but we can't seem to do it. We know the things we shouldn't do, but somehow we seem to do those a lot, right? And for some of us, the gap is small. And maybe getting smaller as you're maturing, as you're progressing in faith, perhaps, um, and you're working on it, and it's getting there. Um, For some of us, uh, the gap is huge, right? That we know what we should and shouldn't do, and somehow all of our behaviors mirror the opposite of that. And so a lot of people, a lot of us, myself, we've spent time trying to uh, fix our behavior uh, and control the way that we behave. Some of us have spent a lot of money trying to fix ourselves. Um, but in the end, we find ourselves kind of staring in the mirror, wondering why, why it is that we don't behave the way we think or know that we should behave. And it leaves us to wonder what is wrong with us, which is where we ended up last week landing at what's wrong with us is we are all ungodly uh, sinners. Here, here's how Paul describes his experience with this issue. In Romans chapter 7, he said this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but cannot carry it out. Can I get an amen from anybody? Yeah, yeah. He goes on, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. And then he keeps going. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's the sin in me that does it. Now, you don't have to be a religious person at all to relate to this sentiment, that you don't behave the way you know that you should uh, behave. I mean, how many times have you driven home late at night or late for something thinking, I can't believe I did that again. What is wrong with me? How, how have I once again failed to live up to what I said or know that I should do? Uh, a lot of times uh, when you get home, that ends up in long, difficult conversations with spouses or significant others uh, about your actions. And, and uh, you know, you know they're right in those arguments, but you still feel the need to defend yourself, right? And so you come up with just the feeble excuses And, you know, I've told you before, the mind is never more creative than when it's coming up with excuses for things you've done wrong. And so we get that going into overtime. But, you know, when we have more time to think about it, maybe sober up a little bit, do whatever, get get a little per time distance perspective, we realize, ah, there's something in me that causes me to do this. What is that? And we've all been there. Some of you are there now. So last week we looked at why we have such a difficult time with this. Right? Why is it that even though we know what's right, we have a difficult time doing it? And then in the process, so many people have destroyed marriages and finances and relationships and reputations and careers as they do the things they don't want to do. And Paul said, this is what it is. And as we looked at this last week, he said, the actions of one person, and he pointed back to Adam, who in the Genesis narrative is the one who introduced sin into the world. It entered the world and we are all now born in to it. 
And he spoke of sin as if it were a noun, that it is a thing, right? And the reason that there's an internal battle within you and you can't seem to do what is right is because that sin, it lives in you. And at times it masters you, it controls you, right? Now you may think that's kind of mystical, kind of weird that there's this external thing, right? And I won't argue with you. It is weird. (laughs) It is. But listen, we as Christians believe a guy rose from the dead. So if we've gotten there, why do we uh, really, why do we draw the line at anything really when we decide what we believe, right? But listen, the way that Paul ends his description of this experience in this arena is great. He goes, all that, I do all this stuff that I don't want to do in there, here, here's how he ends. What a wretched man I am. Now that's pretty bold, right? You know what that tells us? It tells us that this thing that Paul kept doing, that he kept behaving in a way different from he knew what was right, that it wasn't something small, right? It was significant. It wasn't something like, oh, I keep driving five miles an hour over the speed limit. What a wretched man I am, (laughs) right? It wasn't minor. No, it wasn't like, oh, my wife has to constantly remind me to do fill in the blank because I forget to do everything. What a wretched man I am. It was more significant than that, right? Whatever it was, it drove him to the point of self-loathing. That's what that sentence is. It is self-loathing. And we go through things like that. We have a few good days and then we blow it. And when we blow it, what, what has gotten into me? And all of us at one point in life, we can relate to this, right? There are one point in life that, that you've been involved in doing or not doing something, right? And you would have given anything to break that habit, right? To not, you know, whatever it is, to not, I wish I would not, you know, whatever I could do to not unload on my kids in anger when I get home from work or, or to not rid my, you know, if I could rid myself of this, just this incessant insecurity, that just drives me to do things that I regret later. If I could just get rid of that wretched, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched woman I am. What a wretched soul that I am. Then, then as he keeps going in the next sentence, he, he asks a question. And we read the question like this, what, what will rescue me? That's what, that's what we read. That's not really his question. Well, look at his question in a minute. This is our question, what will rescue me? Because our question is, when we're looking at our behavior, our question is, what, what can I do? Right? What can I change? Give me a book to read. What can I read? What insight will save me? What new worldview will help me out here? What, 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 what? And we're looking for this external thing. And as you've already discovered, there is not a what that will save you in this idea. It's just not there. Not even, not even my wonderfully prepared and beautifully delivered sermons on Sunday mornings will save you in these areas, right? But Paul points us in the right direction because the solution isn't you. The solution isn't have more discipline. The solution isn't try harder or just have more willpower. Although he endorses those things throughout the New Testament, the solution isn't what, it's a who. His actual question is this, who will rescue me? Who? Thanks be to God, he says, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So for the next few minutes, we're going to look at how he describes um, 
how the who connects with the do. You like that little rhyming? The who and the do? Yeah, the who and the do. Because if we connect the who with the do, perhaps we will stop doing the do. (laughs) Come on, you guys love it. You love it. It's what you come for. Anyway, Paul tells us, this is how we beat this thing that goes on in our life, this pattern uh, that we have. Now, this is, this is complicated. And if you were here last week, we talked about how when you get into verses that are complicated, uh, the Christianese way to say that is it's getting deep, right? Everybody here, oh, we're getting deep in the word today. Anybody grow up with that phraseology? Yeah, that just means it's a bunch of sentences that we don't wanna pay attention to enough to actually figure out what they're saying. So it's just deep. And it's, we don't really grasp it. It's just deep. So we're gonna go, we're gonna go deep. Uh, and I'm gonna give you the bottom line first in case I lose you all in the weeds a little bit. That way you'll have at least the bottom line. Then we'll come back at the end and try and, and make sense. So basically, Paul is going to tell us this. He's gonna say, just as the act of one man, Adam at the beginning, ensured that you would be born a slave to sin. In the same way, the single act of one man has freed you from the power of sin. So because of the death of Christ on the cross, you are free from the power that sin, the noun sin that causes us to do the verb sitting has over you. To which you say, oh no, I'm not free. (laughs) I am not. That's why there's the gap in my behavior to which I would say, oh, okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. We're just in the first week of how to fix this. Let's give us a couple more weeks. You'll, finish, you'll figure out that you are indeed free. So Paul's gonna try and explain it. Here we go, Romans chapter six. Now this kind of can get a little complicated to read. Uh, part of the reason that it's complicated is because Paul was dictating this and somebody was just trying to write it as quick as they could. Um, so there's no editing. Writing a letter of this size was extremely expensive back then. So what got written, got written. Um, so here we go, here we go. Uh, this is the truth that Paul gives us. He says this, we are those who have died to sin. Now, he is directly addressing Jesus' followers at this point. And then he asks this question, how can we live in it any longer? We died to sin, how can we keep living in it? (laughs) And and we might wanna raise our hand and say, well, I can explain that part. (laughs) It's real simple. Just follow me around for a couple days, Paul, and you will easily see how I still live in sin right? Paul, I don't need a card on my mirror in the morning reminding me to live in sin every day. It just comes natural, right? Then I get to the end of the day after I do all of my sinning, and then I'd say my prayers, Lord, forgive me for all the sins I did today. I don't want to go to sleep with sin, you know, because then if I, you know, die in the middle of the night, as every uh, evangelist tells me, I'm either going to do that or die in a car wreck, then I don't know where I'm going to go after life. And, you know, so Lord, forgive me of all those sins that I keep doing every day that come so natural. Or, or in some other faith traditions, I go to a priest and I confess, right? Do whatever it is that you have to do, right? So my slate is wiped clean. And Paul would look at us at that point and he would say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not asking you like how you do it, the actual like when you're doing it, what you're doing. That's, that's not what I'm asking. I know how to do it. I just told you I had the same problem. I would do it too, even though I didn't want to do it. What I'm asking is this, why? Why? Why would those of you who have been freed from sin, why would you keep living in it? Why would you treat them like that? Why would you live that lifestyle? Why would you treat your body that way? Why would you keep expressing anger at your children? Why, why, why would you do things? Why would you keep saying yes 
to something, allowing something to control you that no longer has power over you. And then I think it kind of dawns on Paul as he's talking and it's being scribbled down. I think it dawns, he's like, okay, wait. Or don't you know? He says, how can you do this? Or, or wait, I get it. Don't you know? Or don't you know? To which most of us would be probably like, no, Paul, I don't think we knew. <laughs> we don't know what you're talking about, right? I thought I'm a sinner, just a bad person. You know, not as bad as some people, but I'm a bad person just naturally. So I sin, right? And then I asked God to forgive me. I thought that was the deal, Paul. I was going, no, 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 no. Didn't you know that there's so much more So much more to Christ died for your sin. That whole idea, there's more to it than you get to go to heaven someday, which is what so many churches have broken the whole thing down into. You get to go to heaven one day. We're all focused on the sweet by and by. Just hold on and get through this because one day it's all gonna be great. And Paul says, no, 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 no. It's more than that. Didn't you know? To which a whole lot of Christians would tell Paul, no, we didn't know. I don't think I knew that. Then he tells us what he didn't know. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And you think, now not only did I not know that, but now you've told me I still don't know that. What are you talking about, Paul? This doesn't make any sense. Wait, baptized into his death. So hang on a minute, because this is so important in unpacking the whole idea of what Paul's talking about. Because when we see that word baptized, we tend to think of water. Because that's how we've grown up, baptisms happening. Let's get, you know, you know some, some churches have the uh, baptismal tank that's behind the stage that they fill up. Some like us who don't, we're gonna go find some place, a swimming pool, the ocean, whatever we gotta do. We think water and going under. Um, but that's not what the word meant when Paul was writing it. Back then, that was a common word. That wasn't a religious word word. And it just basically meant to put something into something else, right? So here's what he's saying. And this might get a little tricky, but stay with me. He says, don't you know that you, when you were baptized or placed into Christ, that you are also baptized or put into his death? In other words, when you were, <laughs> when you were uh, in Adam, whatever was true in Adam was true in you. But now that you're in Christ, what's true in you is true of Christ. With Adam, sin was your master. With Christ, no more. No more. But when you were taken out of Adam and put into Christ through his death, in that moment, when Christ died, sin immediately, even though we still act like it, no longer has control of us. But all of the ramifications of his death became true of you, didn't you know? Then he goes on. He goes, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The death of Christ and all that went along with it the resurrection of Christ and all that went along with it are true of you because you are in Christ. All of those things have been applied to us. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while or you grew up in church, you've already believed part of this, right? Here's the part you believe. You believed that somehow um, because you believed in Jesus, you get to go to heaven 
when you die. Well, that's part of the message of the gospel. You were taken out of condemnation. But what you didn't know or what most people don't realize or act on is that it doesn't only apply to after death. All of these ramifications of being in Christ's death and resurrection apply to this current life we are living. The one that we are a part of. And Christ's death on the cross, all of that is true now. That means you have freedom from the control of sin. Now you have access to that. He goes on. And these are some of the most powerful, complicated verses in the entire New Testament. He says, for we know, but we didn't know. Well, you're knowing now. For we know that our old self, that is whoever was you in Adam was crucified with him. (laughs) Which we would say, wait, wait, wait. Nope, I wasn't. I wasn't even there. Not born yet. Not even a twinkle in however many generations of somebody's eye. Like, nope, not true. But it is true because what is true of Christ is true of you. The reason that all of this is, is because we are now in Christ. He says, our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might not be done away with. And here's what that means. That means the part of you ruled by sin is no longer ruled by sin. (laughs) To which he say, Andy, you don't know me very well because if you kept track of my actions over a week or two, you would see I very much am still ruled by sin. So Andy, I don't think you know me very well. To which I say, well, Paul was writing this to people he had never met. And he's trying to get us to understand the fullness of what had happened. So here's what, Here's what it is. The body, might, the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, another way of saying it is this, is that we should no longer live as slaves to sin. Or I should no longer say yes to sin because it no longer controls me. Yeah, but Andy, the temptation is so strong and it's just so difficult and I don't even realize I'm doing it sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I realize that we act that way, but in reality, we're no longer bound to that. When Christ died, sin lost power over you. Now, Paul isn't done. Here's why this is true. He says, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now that is an undeniable sentence. Anybody, have you ever tried to tempt a corpse to do something? <laughs> right? How did, how did that go? <laughs> I don't, tell it, just crash a funeral sometime. Try and tempt that corpse into doing something it shouldn't do. Not very well. Because once you die, here, newsflash. Once you die, you will never break a diet again. You will never look at that on your computer again. You will, you will never cheat again. You will never, whatever it is you struggle with, once you're dead, you're never gonna do that again. And here's what he's saying, is that when you were placed into Christ, everything about his death applied to you. So when you died in Christ, you died to the slave master of sin. Now, Paul comes right out here and says it, verse 10. The death he died... He died to sin once and for all. It happened once and for all and once for all. Once and for all, meaning it doesn't have to ever happen again. Like this is a hard idea for some people to wrap their minds around 
that Christ's action on the cross, that is all that ever needs to be done about sin. It is all taken care of. And once for all means it happened for everybody. Everybody, including me and you. But he keeps going. He died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, some of you, I can see it. You're sitting there, your eyes are glazing over. I'm saying a whole bunch of things that seem to be going around in circles. You're trying to figure out what the heck I'm talking about and how in the world is this gonna help you close the gap between what you believe or know to be true or what you should be doing and what you're actually doing, right? And I get it. I'm there as I'm trying to separate all of this, getting ready for the sermon, be like, okay, this part of the sentence, let's explain it, explain it, explain it. I, there were times I really had to pay attention extra as well. This is why we're spending a few weeks on it. I don't expect you to get it all right now, right? But at this point, he comes to the application part. And I'm gonna read it to you and explain it. And then this is where we're gonna pick up next week. He says, in the same way, as in Christ's deaths, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but are under grace. Now, I want you to practice something with me, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do this out loud. I want you to hear yourself say something, and then we're gonna jump into this next week. So say this out loud with me, loud enough, I'd like to hear it, but at least for the person next to you to hear it. Here's what I want you to say. Sin is not my master. Give it to me. Right, right. Now, now just whisper it. Sin is not my master. Just whisper. Yeah. Now, I want you to say it so quiet that you're almost just moving your mouth that the person next to you can't hear it. Do it again. Yeah. You need to tell yourself this about 500 times a day at that volume. Sin is not my master. Sin is not my master. Can you imagine living life, actually living your life under that truth? Could you imagine? Could you imagine coming face to face with your temptation? And in this moment when it feels so strong that you're able to tell yourself, no, sin is not my master. This is just a mechanism through which sin is trying to drag me back into a place and a way of thinking that I am free from. Sin is not my master and it shuts that gap between what you know to be true and the way that you behave. I mean, just imagine being able to live life like that. Now here's your homework for the week. I'm gonna give you some homework. Um, We're gonna build steps over the next few weeks for you uh, to narrow that gap. And, And this week, I am not asking you to change any behavior. All that stuff, all that, all that, that ungodly sin in you're doing, just go ahead and keep doing it this week. You have permission from the pastor. Um, <laughs> but here's what I want you to do. All I'm asking this week is that you recognize something that perhaps you've never recognized before. That in those moments when you're overwhelmed, when you feel yourself being drawn to behave in such a way, would you pause long enough to say, Long enough to say, sin is not my master. I'm dead to sin, but alive in Christ. And then go ahead and sin, just do it, right? But let me tell you, 
Let me tell you something. When this becomes your new approach to life and the grid through which you view all of your life, your marriage, your kids, your habits, your discipline, your body, your health, the way you think, when this becomes the lens through which you view those things, sin is not my master. It will change things. It will change the way you behave. Because listen, you are no longer the person you used to be. And there is no point in living the way that you used to live. So this week, recognize the moments when that temptation is there and sin is calling you and take the moment to recognize it and just say to yourself, sin is not my master. Just recognize, first step this week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you uh, that even though we may not live in it, even though it may be hard for some of us to grasp with the way that we've been raised and the experiences that we've had, Lord, I thank you for what your actions on the cross and through the resurrection actually have done for our lives we are living here on earth. And Lord, as we go through the next few weeks, beginning to understand how to actually live without allowing sin to master us, Lord, I pray this week that you start giving us the wisdom to recognize those moments, that it is reaching out for us and dragging us backwards. May we recognize those and be able to take the moment to realize, to remember, to understand that sin is not my master. I am not who I used to be. So why would I live like I used to live? Lord, I thank you for your scriptures that reveal some of these just incredibly important truths to us. And I thank you for your mercy and for your grace when we don't live up to the gift that you have given us through the cross. Lord, be with us as we go out this week until we can gather again. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us this week. Uh, Looking forward to next week as we take a few more practical steps to actually understanding how to live without allowing sin to control you.